following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. Welcome back, everyone, to another exciting episode of Stories from the Sidelines. I'm Coach Larry. Matt Keogh couldn't be here today, so I'm riding solo. Getting one in before the break. February vacation for teachers coming up very soon. And I'm excited because I'm going away on a nice vacation. Me and the wife are heading down to Mexico. We could call that our coming in hot segment. I am looking forward to this break, the indoor track and field season, which has been outstanding so far, is coming to a close very quickly. We have our sectional meet coming up this week, um, this Sunday, February 20th, and it's going to be fun. I love it, but winter season, any coach knows whether you coach basketball Bowling, uh, cheerleading, indoor track, whatever sport you're coaching during the winter, rifle teams that still have it, it's a long season. It's just a long season. And as a coach, you get to a point where you're not beat down per se, but you're ready for the season to end. You're excited about sectionals and we're... At Ken East, we're looking to have a good uh, sectional meet. We're looking, we've got a couple potential qualifiers. We're hoping that the guys' 4x4 four four team can get into sectionals, or get into states, rather. We're looking at uh, Sidney Morris, hopefully, in 1,000, that can, again, make a repeat performance of state. Uh, Daniel Reinhardt in pole vault is doing an amazing job. Right now, he's ranked top in the state at 13 feet, 1 inch, which I still think is crazy to me that anytime I see the pole vaulters, even if you clear nine feet, even eight, five feet, I just think that's insane. You know, you get into the pole, you lift yourself up. It's just, I've been watching him a little bit. Uh, Coach Brunger, Jeff Brunger, who's been on the show here, he does a great job with Daniel um, helping him out in the pole vault. But just watching some of the drills that he does day in and day out, it's something that I would never, ever, ever, ever want to do. Um, As you guys know who listen to the show, I hate heights. I'm terrified of heights. You put me on like a five-foot ladder and I'm shaking. So I could not imagine putting the pole in, running a top speed, putting the pole vault in, and trying to fling yourself up 13, 14, 15 feet into the air and go over a bar and then hope that you land on the mats behind you. I say hope, but I'd be praying that I landed on the mats behind you. There's no way in heck I'm doing anything near a pole vault. But I do find it fascinating and have a ton of respect for anybody who does it. So the season is coming to an end really quickly, and it's going to be nice to get away on a well-needed vacation shortly after sectionals. We are leaving on that Monday 
for a nice five, six day vacation. We'll be back on Saturday, I believe. Um, and Vicky and I are really excited. I know I'm excited about it. I want to be on the beach. I don't want to leave the beach or the pool area almost the entire time. It's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting, and I cannot wait. But at the same point, today I wanted to talk a little bit. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of the hockey, a little bit of Sabres, a little bit of old-school hockey, a little bit of draft. I'm sure we'll talk. We'll try to keep this relatively short and sweet episode. But we're going to go in with our first topic um, we'll talk a little bit about old school hockey and with Alex Ovechkin, the story of this season, of course, him passing Gordie Howe's record of 801 goals. Right now, Ovechkin currently has 812 goals. He has done it in 1,328 games, and he's done it with just one team, which is remarkable. If you look at the top 10, um, actually, we'll, we'll add Mario Lemieux in here. So we'll go down to the top 11 in um, goals. So Mario Lemieux would be 11th place, 11th place with 690 goals, all the way, of course, up to the top with 894 goals with Wayne Gretzky. Only three players have scored their goals, all of their goals, with one team. You have Mario Lemieux, 690 goals. He did it all with Pittsburgh. He did that in 915 games. Of course, he missed, um, I think it was a season, season and a half, with uh, recovering from Hodgkin's lymphoma with the cancer. Uh, Steve Eiserman is the other one. He scored 692 goals in 1,540 games. And, of course, Alex Ovechkin, who scored right now 812 goals, and he's done it in 1,328 games, which is incredible. Now, if you look at him, though, if you're comparing him with Howe and Gretzky, Gretzky, of course, has the record. He played 1,487 games, has 894 goals with... 1,963 assists. Yes, that is not a misprint. 1,900, 1,963 assists for 2,857 points. I, uh, that can't be right. Holy God. That is unbelievable. Is that right? That is unbelievable that he has that many assists. Wow. But if you, and then if you take a look at how, wow, I still can't believe that many assists. If you take a look at Gordy Howe, he has 801 goals, 1,767 ga- uh, games played. He also has 1,049 assists for 1,850 points. Now, at that point, those are two great companies to be at. Even the fourth place, even Brett Hall, he ha- or sorry, fourth place, Yarmer Yager, he has 1,921 points 
He, of course, has more assists than goals. He's got seven or 1,155 assists, 766 goals. You're looking at just pure goal scoring if you look at Ovechkin. Ovechkin, out of those four, he by far has the fewest assists. He only has 652 assists. He's got 812 uh, goals, though. Still 1,484 points. So not high on the point lead. If you take a look at overall point lead, he drops down to 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. So down all the way to 17th in points. I mean, you're you're looking at assists. He is way down. You're talking he doesn't even make the top 50 in assists. So Alex Ovechkin, who arguably you might say is the best pure goal scorer um, in the league. Right now, he is 82 points behind Wayne Gretzky. There's, I believe, 26 games left that the Washington Capitals have. Let's say in those 26 games, let's say he averages a half a goal a game. So let's say he gets 13 more. That would put his total up to 825. That would put him, quick math, 69 goals behind him. You're talking he should, two more years, and he should have the record. At that point, he would need to average 35 goals a season, and that would give him the record. That would actually give him 895 goals. So you're looking at if Ovechkin, which he should, play at least two more years, he should have the record. And at that point, you're looking at he will do it. I believe he'll do it quicker then Wayne Gretzky, let's see right now, he's got 1,328 games played. If you add, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess this math up. It'll be close, but he might be able to do it in under Wayne Gretzky's goal or games played. If not, he'll do it somewhere around Gretzky's games played. Now, if you take a look at it, though, with Gordie Howe, who's played almost... We're talking he's played almost 300 more games than Wayne Gretzky. And for Gretzky to take down his mark of 801 in almost 300 games less was fantastic. So, but to have arguably the best pure goal scorer in Ovechkin, I mean, you're talking he's still going to have He's by the time Ovechkin finishes his career, he's gonna have he's gonna be well under a thousand fewer points than Wayne Gretzky. Well under, probably closer to twelve hundred. It's it's just outstanding with what Wayne Gretzky. I'm still shocked. My mind is still blown. I didn't realize. Of course, everybody knows that he has the lead in goals. You would assume he had the most assists because he was a playmaker too, but. The fact that he had the the next highest assist leader is more than 700 assists behind him. 
Wayne Gretzky at 1,963 assists. Ron Francis is second place with 1,249. That is amazing. And again, you look at points. Gretzky had 2,857 points. The next leader is Yarmer Yager, and he is almost 1,000 behind him. 1921, 1921. And and Yager did that with almost 300 about 250 254 more games than Wayne Gretzky. Talk about Yager playing all over the place. Pittsburgh, Washington, New York, Philadelphia, Dallas, Boston, the Devils, Florida, Calgary. Man, you couldn't make one stop at Buffalo? I mean, come on. You played in two, four, six, eight, nine teams in the NHL. You couldn't make a stop in Buffalo? So it's amazing. So Gretzky currently with the lead, though, in... Currently the lead in goals, in the lead in assists, lead in points. Just... Unbelievable. Power play goals, Ovechkin actually, or uh, looks like Ovechkin leads with 295, which again is even as as you look at Wayne, he had 204 power play goals, which is even a little more incredible that a lot of his goals came on the even strength. Gretzky did not know this either. Leads the league in career shorthanded goals. With 73. Mark Messier, 63. That seems Mark Messier was doing a lot of penalty killing. So Gretzky just did it all. Unbelievable. No wonder he is the great one. Now, if you take a look at these goals, the goal leaders, and again, you're you're talking. Of course, the career goal leaders are going to be more of the older players. You're not getting this by playing three, four, five, six seasons into the league. You're not getting on this list. Um, You're looking at Sid Crosby, who I want to kind of take a little bit of time here and talk a little bit about another point with the goons or with the enforcers. I'm not going to call them goons, but the enforcers in the league. Sid, uh, Sidney Crosby, played only 1,161 games compared to Ovechkin's 13-28. They both came in the league at the same time. Sidney Crosby, 541 goals, 933 assists for 1,474 points. So he actually does have 10 more points than Ovechkin, a lot more assists. Would we be talking about right now as 1328 and let's see Sydney so almost let's say about 150 more games played 100 160 maybe even 170 more games played I can't do math right now 160 something 167 games um, more that Ofetch can play are we talking about a two man race here to Wayne Gretzky 162, you're talking about, uh, let's say, two more seasons in total that Ovechkin's worth of games played. 
let's say even if he pl- averaged 35 you're talking at 70 more goals i mean that still puts crosby uh, all right maybe crosby doesn't get there even if he averaged 40 you're talking 80 that puts him only at like 6 only at 621 which is still good enough for he he'd be he'd be top he'd be around J- Jerome McGinley's numbers at 625 probably maybe he get you add a 250 goal scores there maybe he gets up to like Brendan Shanahan or Luke Robitaille at 658 6 668 respectively so maybe Crosby doesn't get there but Crosby is def- would definitely be making a case for getting up there in points I mean right now he's 32nd in points or not 32nd right now he's 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 10 12 13 14 15 16th in points so I think you'd be talking a little differently and the reason I bring that up does Sidney Crosby get those two extra years, maybe even three extra years worth of games if he has an enforcer on his line? If Gretzky, and Gretzky has said this many times, if he doesn't have players like Marty McSurley and Dave Stamenko on his line, on his team, playing with him, he's not Wayne Gretzky. He's not getting those goals. In fact, I think it was, I think Gretzky was quoted as saying, um, there is no Wayne Gretzky without Dave Stamenko or something to that effect. And he's right. I think at that point, if you have a player like Wayne Gretzky, he gets cheap-shotted nowadays. I think he has... Maybe a Sidney Crosby-ish career. Sidney Crosby's had a fantastic career. But I don't think the great, the great one, with the way the game's played nowadays, doesn't have the stats that he had. Now, he's still great. Don't get me wrong, and I don't want to hear people, oh, you, Gretzky's going to be... Gretzky would be great no matter what. No matter what era, talent-wise, you, you can't teach talent. You can't have talent. He's just got God-given ability, work ethic, that would translate over into any era. I think there's very few players, in fact, the only players that I can think of that their skill set would transfer over no matter what is Gretzky in hockey, Michael Jordan in basketball. Um, You can say probably probably in football, I want to say Joe Montana as a quarterback. Maybe Walter Payton as a running back. I mean, football is a little tougher because there's a lot more positions out there. But Wayne Gretzky, you definitely, he would transfer over into any any era. But I think the only reason I think in this era now with enforcers being fewer and fewer is he might not be as durable and he might not have been able to play as many games as he did because... Back then, you didn't hit players like Wayne Gretzky because you had to deal with players like Marty McSurley. You had to play deal with players like Dave Stamenko. There's a reason why when McSorley went to L.A., he wasn't going there beat without uh, Marty McSurley. He wasn't going there. It wasn't going to happen. 
So you take away his 1,487 games, maybe he only gets to 1,200. Maybe that gives him, you know, that's talking 287, maybe he only gets up to 700 goals. But you could say the same thing with a lot of those players in those generations because of enforcers. And are we living in and are we living through a game where hockey is almost different? Are you going to have to start looking at records differently? Are we going to almost have to have, especially with with the goals, where we're going to look at more of goals per game records as opposed to career goal records? I think you might have to. And I think... With Alex Ovechkin is doing and what he'll inevitably do by passing Wayne Gretzky, by passing Gordie Howe already, but by passing Wayne Gretzky, I don't think anybody is going to have a chance to get as close to him. Ovechkin, I mean, or definitely even get as close to Gretzky just because I don't think in today's modern game they're not going to be able to be durable. You've got Not only that, you've got more athletes. You've got faster skaters. You've got players that are playing fearless. You've got players that don't have that fear of, I'm going to take a run at Gretzky, or I'm going to take a run at Crosby. I'm going to take a run at Ovechkin. I'm going to take, I'm going to put a uh, Steven Stamkos into the boards. I'm going to take him and, and run him, you know, rough him up a little bit. Those players, you do something like back then in the 70s, 80s, and even into the mid-90s, and even actually even in all the way through the 90s, you do something like that, forget one guy fighting you. You get, you get back in the 70s and 80s, you get three or four guys that will jump you. You get one guy that will fight you. When you get out of the box, there's another guy waiting there to fight you. You've got guys that will make your life a living hell not only that game but the every time they play you you learned your lesson in fact one um and again I might mess up the quote a little bit but Steve Avery there was a quote from um believe it was Brendan Shanahan who Steve uh, played with Steve Avery Steve Avery was looking at uh, Joe Newendike and kind of was talking stuff about him. Shanahan looked at him like, you don't speak to Mr. Newendike like that. That's just the respect that those guys had for each other. Even you tell your teammates, hey, you don't touch him. You don't mess around. You don't cheap shot him. So it was just a different era. Now, the way the modern game is going, I like the way the modern game is going. Finally, I like the way that they've there was a there was a point in the nineties and or in the late nineties, early two thousands, um, where they they started. There was the clutching and grabbing coming. It was a penalty every couple minutes. It was just slow hockey. You couldn't you you weren't there was too much clutching and grabbing. Too many penalties. Now they've really kind of gone back to letting them fly. Maybe sometimes a little too fast because you've got a lot of concussions. But I do like the fact I think it's a it's a more free-flowing game. You've got goaltenders that are definitely more athletic. 
Um, goal scoring seems to be, be it seems to be going up and up again. But you've got the goal scorers that it's it's the, with the goaltenders. It's not as high as it used to be, but it's starting to get back up there a little bit. But it's just fun to watch. It's fun to watch because now, and again, part of this too is taking away the enforcer. But part of this is where you have four full lines of four full lines of just hockey players. Four full four full lines. Every team, especially playoff teams, have four lines of hockey players. Four lines of talented hockey players. You're still going to have, of course, your scoring lines, your one and two lines. But now where teams used to have one or two scoring lines, then maybe your rough and tumble third line and then a strictly checking line is your fourth line. You've got teams that have scoring lines of one and two. The deeper teams like Tampa, um, Colorado when they did it, St. Louis when they won the cup, you've got teams that can run three lines of scoring lines and your fourth line still isn't a pushover. It's more of a it's it's less of a checking line and more of a scoring gritty line. So it is fun to watch. But it's it's just different to watch. But I think the game is going in a great place and hopefully it continues to grow better and better because again there was a point where in the in the 2000s, 2010s, 2011s, 2012s, it started to get stale. It started to just too much clutching and grabbing, too much whining, too much. I think they've started to make, over the last couple of years, they've started to make some corrections, some uh, adjustments to the times, and really get our game back and watchable. So that was, again... We'll talk a little bit more. I know I want to get, uh, we're going to bring John Zororian back at some point to, I was kind of hoping he'd come on today, but we'll get him back at some point to talk a little bit more about old school hockey, new school hockey, um, and that'll be a amazing show. But we're going to switch a little bit to kind of the Sabres. We're going to talk Sabres talk and I don't want to say they've fallen out of the playoff race because they are still in it, but they're they're slumping a bit. At this point, the Sabres have, over the last 10 games, they are still a decent record at 5-3-2, but they are currently in a four-game losing streak. Um... They have lost the last four. One of them or two of them might have been a tie. And again, the standings can be deceiving, especially at the wild card right now. Right now they are three. Um, they're the third team out as right now Pittsburgh and Washington currently have the hold the wild card positions. Then it goes the Islanders and the Panthers. Sabres and the Red Wings are right there at tied at 56 points. The Red Wings have the same amount of games. So the Red Wings have caught up um, some ground on the Sabres, both at 56 points. Panthers and Islanders, not really concerned about them. Yeah, they're ahead of them. They're ahead of Buffalo by four points with the Panthers, five points with the Islanders. But they both have five games in hand on the Sabres. So 
definitely points to be made there. So they should be able to catch those uh, two teams easily. The Capitals, the team they're chasing right now, they are six points ahead, four games in hand, though, they have on the Sabres. So that's going to get interesting. Sabres have a game against the Ducks tonight. Two big points on the board. Let's hope they can catch them or at least make a dent in it. But Buffalo needs to start getting back on the winning on the winning uh, road here. As we take a look, their schedule is going to start getting a little tougher. Of course, the Ducks, not very good. So they should, again, should have a win here. But it's going to start getting a little tougher. Right now, the Sabres are 26, 22, and 4. So after the Ducks, they have the San Jose Sharks. They'll be so a little bit of a Western swing here. They lost the other night against Cal, uh, Los Angeles, five to two in their last two games. Their last three games, of course, in this four-game streak, they tied or lost in, um, a shootout to the Wild, three to two. Then five-one loss to Carolina. Went on a nice ten-day vacation. Came back rested. Lose seven to two to Calgary, and then five to two to Los Angeles on Monday. Oof. Oof. Just tough losses. So let's hope they can bounce back with Anaheim, San Jose. Then it gets a little meaty after San Jose. Starting on the twenty fourth, twenty first, they'll have home against Toronto, where for some reason the Sabers cannot win on home ice. They are just horrendous on home ice. So let's hope they turn that around against Toronto. Then they'll have they'll be at Tampa Bay, at Florida, home against Washington. So those four games are going to be huge, especially that Washington game. And they have Washington two more times. So let's get on a little bit of a tear here. Even out of those games, out of the uh, the one, two, three, four, five, six out of the next six games. So you're talking twelve points. Does Buffalo need? Eight out of twelve to keep in keep viable in that playoff race. You look out of uh, they'll have seven or they'll have nine games to close out February. As after Washington, they'll close out the month of February with Columbus. That puts them at nine games. Do they or sorry, seven games? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven games. I can count seven games. 14 points, again, do they need 10 out of 14, 8 out of 14? I would think they would need at least 8 out of 14. Do they need 10 out of 14 points to start clawing back in or not just clawing back in but really assert themselves into the playoff race so that they can get into March, marches, They've got to, after to start March, they have a tough, almost brutal first three games with Boston, Tampa Bay, and Edmonton. At Boston, then home against Tampa Bay, home against Edmonton. So those first three games in March are going to be tough. That's on the second, fourth, and sixth. It gets a little bit easier as they go to the Islanders. But again, then they're back home against Dallas. Back home against the Rangers. At Toronto, 
at Washington. So you're talking a lot. Those are all playoff or teams in the hunt for the playoffs. It's going to be tough. They're facing a a tough, tough schedule to close out. They do have games like Philadelphia should be a win. Um, Montreal should be a win. You've got lower teams or teams that are equal like them, like Florida, Detroit, where you need to get those wins. If you want to make the playoffs, Ottawa, Columbus, they'll close out the season. It's fun, though. This is a fun season because usually by now we're talking, can they get the first-round pick? Do they tank? They're looking at right now a top-five pick. Do they lose? Do we want them to lose these last couple games to get closer or better odds for that number-one overall pick? Unless they have a major, major decline, a major collapse, they should be nowhere near the conversation for a top-ten pick. Unless, you know, if they miss the playoffs and they win the lotto and they, you know, really get lucky. But there should be no conversations of Buffalo getting even a top five pick this year. Unless they have a major, major collapse. So we're going to slowly drift away from hockey. And we're going to talk a little bit about football with the Bills, with the draft. Of course, we talked about this last week with Kansas City winning the Super Bowl. Should Buffalo go all in on building their offense? Whether it's through the draft, whether it's through trade, whether it's through both. And my answer is yes. Please take a swing at the offense. We have seen them take a swing at the defense we have seen them spend a lot of draft capital over the last over this regime with uh, Bean and McDermott. I mean, look at their defensive line alone. Ed Oliver, first-round draft pick. A.J. Epinesa, second-round draft pick. And in that draft pick year, it was their first draft choice because that was the year uh, after they traded for Diggs. So they didn't have a first-round draft pick. But again, Oliver, first-round draft pick. Epinesa, second-round draft pick. Boogie Basham, second-round draft pick. Um, Greg Rousseau, first-round draft pick. Made the big uh, free agent splash by signing Vaughn Miller. So their defensive line is loaded with first- and second-round draft picks. Even if you go to Shaq Lawson, former first-round draft pick under the Rex Ryan era, they don't need any more draft picks on that defensive line. You want to go fifth or sixth round? Fine. But you don't need anything earlier than that. Linebacker, you've got Matt Milano. Depends on what they do with uh, with Terrell Edmonds. And um, I am deathly afraid that they are, not that they're not going to sign Edmonds, because I'm still 50-50. I think they should sign him. I'm not sure if they're going to sign him. Poyer, I think, unfortunately, is out. I think he's going to be a cap casualty. I would love it if they signed, had the money to sign both of them. They don't. Not sure if they have enough money to sign either of them. But I am deathly afraid that this team is going to not sign one or both of them, and then they're going to justify a or use a first-round pick on a lineman, linebacker, a second-round pick on a safety, or vice versa, 
and then you're not even addressing your wide receiver needs, your offensive line needs. I think you need another tight end. You're not addressing any of those needs until at the earliest, the third round. And that just spells disaster. Because again, you're looking at teams like Kansas City, who they have done the opposite. They have put in, whether draft capital, whether it's been trades, most of it's been draft capital, but they have gone heavy on the offense. Their defense has always been middle of the road at best, at best middle of the road, sometimes borderline like maybe they get top 20 and they just continue to win. They don't care much about their defense. The Super Bowl, all they really needed their defense to do was to make, I mean, they made the one scoop and score against Hertz, and they stopped them again or held them to a field goal. That's all they needed because they knew that offense was going to rack up points eventually. They knew that offense was going to score and get their 30-plus points, and all they're looking at their defense, hey, listen, we don't need you to shut the Eagles out. We don't need you to keep them under 10. Can you keep them to under 30 or low 30s? You can do that? Cool. We'll take it from here. Don't worry. Our offense is going to score more than 35 points. Our offense is going to score at least 30. Our offense is going to score 40 points. All we need you guys to do Keep them. Can you keep them to under 30 points? Can you keep every team to under 30 points? Great. We'll take it from there. If you can keep them to under 20, mid-20s, even better, but don't worry about it. Don't sweat it. Just keep it to under 30, and we'll win a game. Buffalo, I think a lot of us thought we would have that offense this year. I think we, and again, I told you I got... um, I fell into that that Gabe Davis trap where I thought he was going to be a legit number two receiver. I thought he was going to develop into that T. Higgins type receiver where we would have our Chase and Higgins. We would have our, it would be Diggs and Davis. It would be back in the day, and I'm dating myself, it would be Reed Lofton. It would be Jerry Rice, John Taylor we would have that combination, that solid one-two combination. Or even if Davis had a great year, the 1A-1B conversation. And Davis didn't have a terrible year, but he didn't have that true number two year. We had a top dog receiver, still have a top dog receiver in Steph Diggs. We have, though, after that, kind of brutally honest, we have a bunch of number threes. We have a bunch of number threes. Now, things might have been a little different had Jamison Crowder not gotten hurt in training camp and been able to play. Who knows? Maybe it would have been the same. But with Isaiah McKenzie, Gabe Davis, uh, Khalil Shakir, even you can throw Jamison Crowder in there, I guess. They got desperate enough where they brought back Cole Beasley and John Brown. 
We have a lot of number three and number four wide receivers. We don't have that second receiver, that number, that other number one receiver, that 1B receiver. And in this day in the NFL, it's not good enough just to have one stud. You need another guy to be the guy. Cincinnati showed you what you can do with two guys and a very good number three. I mean, let's be honest. With with you throw in Boyd in there, they've got two number ones and a number two. Because Boyd is a solid number two receiver. He is a solid number two. If you put him on the Bills, he could be the missing piece to their puzzle. He could give us a solid number two. He's not a 1B type, but he would be a solid person to line up against Diggs. But in Cincinnati, he's their third receiver. Now, a year or two, are they going to have to get rid of Higgins? Are they going to have to get rid of Chase? Can they keep them both? Do they have to get rid of one and not be able or and sign the other for a big deal? Because you know Burrow's getting his money. But Buffalo is going to have to draft big time in the offense over the next year or two. And I hate to say it, I don't want to be that pessimistic guy, but I'm not sure if I have faith in our staff. To draft our offense. They've done a great job. They've hit on a lot of defensive players. Defensive line. Maybe not so much. Who knows. Maybe Rousseau really shines this year. He had a he had a good year. Didn't have a great year. He had a good year. He had, was playing much better with Von Miller. As his uh, other end. The defense was playing much better with Von Miller. If Von Miller doesn't go down. Does he. Do we win. Are things different? Maybe. But it was just that defensive line should be, with the amount of draft picks, with the amount of capital we've put in that defensive line, we shouldn't have even needed Von Miller. With the amount of draft picks and the amount of young players that they had, can you imagine if they hit? Ed Oliver's doing, again, Very good player. I don't know if I'd call him a great player yet, but very good player. But can you imagine if they hit a home run on Ed Oliver, if they hit a home run on Greg Rousseau, and if they hit a home run on either Epinesa or Basham or both. But you're talking with the amount of capital that they spend, they should have a top five defensive line without Vaughn Miller. Then last year, instead of spending that big capital to go get Von Miller, maybe you take a tr- uh, take a swing and make a trade or a deal to get Devontae Adams and give him his big deal. Or Tyreek Hill or somebody else. Because they need him. And again, same thing with Miami. When Waddle, who I think 
He's got. They're going to have him for another two or three years on a cheap deal. But when he gets his second deal, is Tyreek is Tyreek Hill still there? Are they going to have enough money to keep Waddle? It's going to be interesting. Teams nowadays, with the way the salary cap is, with the structure and the, how much money these quarterbacks are getting, when you are paying your quarterback 40, 45 mil a year, that's taking up a huge chunk of your cap. I don't think anymore you can really go for, well, we need a top, we need both our offense and defense in the top five. We need both our offense and defense in the top ten. Even Philadelphia, when Jalen Hurts gets his money, is he going to get a big deal like Mahomes, like Allen? Is he going to be on that on that level after what he did in the Super Bowl and this year? I'd say he should be. I don't see why he wouldn't. He should be on that deal. He should be up at that level with Burrow, with Mahomes, with Allen. Because I think you're looking at right now, he's a top four quarterback in this league. Maybe you even go as high as top two or top three. I still think, and I hate to say it, I still think Mahomes is still in a class by himself. But are the Eagles going to be able to keep that balanced team that they had where they had a great defense and a great offense? Are they going to be able to keep that together? Does A.J. Brown become expendable? Devontae Smith, when his, Devonta Smith, when his deal comes through, he, he only got so much money to dish around, so it's going to be interesting. But I'm just hoping, I've said it before, and I'm not. We'll we'll get into our draft show a little bit later as the draft gets closer. I'm still a little bitter from the Super Bowl, but we'll talk about where's the young talent, where's the young wide receiver class, how good of a class wide receivers this is. Do they have the? Do they have a top end, high end wide receiver, or few, or is it a lot of just, you know? Mediocre talent is a lot of just very good talent, but no great talent. Because in my opinion, Buffalo needs to address heavily in the wide receiver and the offensive line. I'd love to see them go, depending on who's still available, either the best wide receiver available or the best offensive lineman available in the first round. Second round. You swap it, you either go, if you chose wide receiver, you cho- you go best offensive lineman. If you chose offensive lineman, you go best wide receiver. Maybe you make a trade up. Third round, I'd still take another wide receiver. If there's no, if the wide receivers by then and picked clean, I'd still take another offensive lineman then. Then at that point, fourth round, fifth round, then you can I, I, you can start looking at uh, your middle linebackers. You can start looking at your strong or your safeties to take care of or to fill for uh, Jordan Poyer if you haven't found somebody in free agency. You look at filling in some of the guys that left. Maybe in the back half of the draft because I don't think they're re-signing Singletary. Maybe in the back half of the draft, sixth, seventh round, you look to try to hit um, another running back like the Chiefs did with uh, Isaiah Pacheco, who was seventh round pick, I believe. 
I don't want another running back. I don't want another running back. I know there's talk that Buffalo could choose a running back in the first round. I don't want another running back. I don't want another running back. There's even a couple drafts out there that I've seen them take a defensive lineman. Hmm. I might have to walk out on the draft if they take a defensive lineman. I don't know what I would do, even if they take a linebacker or a safety. If you take a linebacker, a middle linebacker, or a safety, again, they're going to justify it with the losses to Poyer and Edmonds. But, come on. You've invested a lot in your defense. Besides drafting Allen in the first round, whether you did, besides making that swing for Diggs, I guess you can say last year with a second-round pick with Cooks, which, again, hmm, I, I love the player. I think he's going to be better next year. I think he, they're going to expect him to be the man next year because I don't think Singletary's coming back unless Singletary can work out a cheap deal. Tell me it wouldn't have been better if they picked a lineman or a wide receiver. That's the only time they've invested in the offense. They need to start investing next year, the year after, the year after. Invest heavily in the offense. And when you have a defensive-minded head coach, even as good as Sean McDermott is, he's got to do it before I believe he'll do it. And hopefully he will. All right, before I get any further down that rabbit hole, we're going to get into our hot seat questions. I'm going to make this short and sweet. We're going to do five hot seat questions that I got from um, Victoria. We'll do a couple for my wife, Vicky. I can't believe I called her Victoria. Sorry, Vic. Uh, we're going to do a couple for my wife, Vicky. I did ask my brother, uh, Richie, to send in a few questions. Uh, Sarah, she sent in one or two. She's, of course, busy at school, so she didn't have time to do too many. And a couple of my athletes, so we'll kind of pick and choose. The first one, this one's uh, how <laughs> this one's coming from uh, one of my soccer players. I won't say the name, but how would you describe yourself as a soccer player? I would describe myself, and I think I've said it before, as a grinder. To put it to put it in hockey terms, I was the third line. The I, you could put me up on the second line, but I was comfortable in that third line role where I was going to outwork everybody on that field. Was I a good soccer player? Yes. Was I the best soccer player? No. I wasn't. I wasn't. I did make second team Western New York, which was awesome. Um. And I did make uh, first team, or was it first team or second team in all NFL? Niagara Frontier League, not not National Football League. I think it was first team NFL, second team uh, Western New York uh, back when I played. But again, I wasn't the most talented. There were a lot of players out there that I played against or played with that had uh, that were more skilled than I was, but I outworked everybody. I was still pretty skilled, so I don't want to sell myself short. But I outworked everybody. I outhustled everybody. I was going to, if you beat me, um, took the ball away from me, I was going to, you know, come hell or high water, I was going to try everything to get that ball back. So I was the grinder. Even when I played 
indoor on the old field at Sportsplex, the boarded field, which, oh, my God, I loved. I wish they would bring those type of fields back or at least be more prevalent. I loved those those fields, those types of games. I was the guy that was just going to, you know, fall down, get back up, fall down, get back up, fall down, get back up, out-hustle you, outwork you. So I, w- I was the grinder, I would say, and definitely had more assists than uh, goals. So grinder slash, uh, what do you want to call it? What is it called? Playmaker, I guess, passer. But I was looking to set people up more than finish. So had definitely more assists than goals in my careers of playing. Good question. Question number two. Let's see, kind of scrolling through here. Question number two. Favorite Star Wars character? I'm going, this is going to sound a little weird. I'm going with R2-D2. Um, I just, I thought it was so cool, a character that can just with, with the, <laughs> didn't say words, just beeps, whistles, noises. And just to be as memorable as a character as he was, and the way that him and C-3PO would communicate to each other. When obviously you knew what C-3PO was saying, he would talk, but R2-D2 just... You kind of knew what he was saying, but you didn't. And it's almost like he was like the dog version or the pet version, uh, the cat version of of the Star Wars world. So I'm saying uh, R2-D2. Question number three. Since we talked about the Bills... Um, Favorite Bill of all time. I think we did this question before. Bruce Smith. Bruce Smith was my favorite Bill of all time. He was actually my first soccer number. Number 78. So, and again, for those of you who don't know soccer, having the number 78 as a soccer number is absurd. Uh, The only reason I had it, well, it wasn't my first uh, number ever playing soccer, but indoor soccer it was. Our indoor coach let us. Um, we got to. We bought our jerseys, so we got to put our numbers on our jerseys, and I picked number seventy-eight. So out comes. I think I was ten at the time, maybe eleven. My first indoor soccer season. Out comes this little eleven-year-old with the number seventy-eight, where everybody else has your traditional soccer numbers, low. Like number 11, you, you might get as high as like number 20, 21, 22. And here comes 78. So, but after, hey, I had a great, I had a great first season at indoor. So by the end of the season, I think we played each team twice. They knew by the turnarounds who number 78 was. So Bruce Smith, greatest bill of all time. We're going to go quickly. Number four, greatest or my greatest or favorite saber of all time. Hmm. I've got a couple. I could say Rob Ray, LaFontaine. LaFontaine wasn't my favorite of all time, but definitely up there. I'm going to say, I'm going to say Alex Mogilny. And we talked a little bit about him. He had the most goals in a season by a, any Sabre of all time in the 92-93 season. Tied Tamo Solani uh, with the Winni- from the Winnipeg Jets. But, I don't know. Maybe it was because he was the goal scorer of that era for the Sabres. 
him and LaFontaine. LaFontaine was more of the playmaker. McGilney more of, I guess McGilney was the Sabres version of Ovechkin, where McGilney, he had his assists, but he wasn't going to have many assists in the season. He was going to have, he was going to be your Sabres leaders in goals because he was being fed by McGilney, or sorry, by LaFontaine. So Alex McGilney, I'm going to say my favorite Sabre player of all time. And question number five, we're going to wrap things up. Favor or do you, and this this one came from uh, my brother because he knows I've been bragging about my vacation where I'm going, and he, he gives me crap about vacations all the time that teachers get way too much time off, whatever, I yell at him. But favorite vacation or um, – or am I? It, let's put it this way. Basically, it comes down to: Do I like it back when we were kids, when we had the two weeks off for Easter vacation and there was no February break, or do I like the February break and the spring break version of it now? I like February break, but if I had my choice, I would rather have the two weeks off in. Uh, towards Easter, so the spring break, I guess. So either the week before Easter and the week after Easter. That would be my preference. It just feels like it's more, you have more to do. You have more of a restful vacation. You have more time off. It just it just seems more. I do enjoy the February break because, I mean, but especially when Easter is early, I think we leave on April 1st, I believe, is our school for Buffalo City is our first day of Easter vacation or spring vacation. So it is kind of nice that we'll have the February break here. We'll have, we'll come back. We'll have about a month of school and then we'll be on vacation again. Then at that point, when we come back from Easter break, at that point, you're talking, you've got the rest of April, the rest on then May and June. Of course, you got a few days in there, a few uh, days off in there in May. And let's be honest, by the time you get to June, you're just, you're, you're riding that wave out. You're you're ready to go. You're ready to wrap up, especially in phys ed. It's a lot of just fun stuff that you can do with the kids. So, but if I had to choose, I'm saying the the longer um, spring break, the two week spring break version of that. All right. So that is my episode today. We talked some hockey. We talked some bills in the draft. We're going to get in that more with Matt Keel when I get back from vacation. So, again, and don't get me wrong, our weekly episodes will still be out every week. It's just by the time I come back, I'll be telling you all about my trip from Mexico, which I am thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly going to enjoy. That's all I'll say about that. Thank you guys for listening. Again, make sure you tune into our episodes. You can find them at our website. You can find them on Facebook, on Instagram, on Amazon. Uh, you can find them on Spotify. You can find them Apple Podcasts all over the place. Just look up stories from the sidelines. Check them out on the Podcast Precincts website. And all our other exciting shows on the Podcast Precinct episode or websites. And make sure you tune in this week and every week for another exciting episode of Stories from the Sidelines. And let's go Sabres. (laughs) 